Kevin McGill here. I hope you're enjoying the Nicholas & Company Audiobook Adventures series. If you would like to get a free ebook version of Nicholas & Company, The Merman and the Moon Forgotten, go to nicholasandco.com, N-I-K-O-L-A-S-A-N-D-C-O.com. Also, if you would like to buy the audiobook version of the Nicholas & Company Audio Adventure series, go to wherever audiobooks are sold. This is the Nicholas and Company Audio Adventures. Chapter 5 Prometheus 10,000 Colorado City, Colorado Did you hear me, Nick Lyons? Tim said, trying to keep pace with his brother up the canyon steps. You went crazy back there. Certifiable. How hard did Rocky hit you? You were babbling on about Huron and runes. They're evil or something. The shed door automatically opened. Nick stopped inside. Okay, fine. I keep hearing this, I don't know, voice in my head. Something about a city. I don't know. Tim stopped. I totally called it. You are crazy. Just took a while to go full-blown. Nick stepped through the shed door. Welcome, Nick Lyons. Hospitality 3000 fired up. Just above the shed door was a cylinder-shaped sensor programmed to recognize and introduce every person that stepped through the doorway. Except... This particular one added its own flair. Nick! Hospitality 3000 announced. The believer of all things. Once when Nick was five years old, he believed with all his heart that people could fly. More specifically, he believed Tim could fly. So there Nick was, 12 stories high, holding a very scared Tim out of the window. That's when his mother, Sonia Lyons, let out a maternal shriek and lunged for the two brothers in the Nick of time became a popular catchphrase around the lion's home. It's giving me flashbacks, Tim groaned. I hate that thing, Nick. Turn it off. Can't, Nick said. Daniel hid the shutoff switch. Nick's uber-intelligent friend, Daniel, had taken the standard Hospitality 3000 found in most suburban homes and demonized it. Somehow, he figured out how to tap into everyone's social utility sites, email accounts, and homeland security system, and give what he called a full and honest representation of the individual. Bet you can turn it down! Tim leapt to the work table and swept his hand around the edges. The door slid open. Entering Caroline Wendell, continued Hospitality 3000. One of the three Wendell sisters hailing from the refugee camp. Hello. Caroline greeted them in a breathy tone. She wore her usual print flower dress and horn-rimmed glasses, which was steamed up by a ceramic bowl teetering in her clutches. I made some food for the after party. Mashed potatoes. People only like Caroline because she can cook from scratch, announced Hospitality 3000. I wish we could turn that off, Nicholas, 
Caroline said. A rare commodity in this century, and for only a 14-year-old. She is a fantastic cook. Chocolate chip cookies after school, pies on Sunday, and turkeys for Thanksgiving. If boys won't fancy her for her looks, they'll fancy her for her key lime pie. The English accent just makes it more insulting, Caroline said. Entering Brandy Wendell. It's so making my hair limp. Brandy held a large metal platter covered in aluminum foil. Caroline, where do you want your murdered cow? Brandy couldn't be more different. Hospitality 3000 continued. Being the youngest sister, she hates to cook. Brandy claims that it keeps her from her number one love, looking cute. In defense, Brandy also explains that cooking keeps her from talking to her friends. All 2,372 of them. Some people collect stamps. Brandy collects people. Caroline. Brandy said. Your roast. You made roast? Tim said to Caroline. Yes, I did, Tim. It's a recipe I've wanted to try for a while. Caroline shoved a non-functioning radio aside and set down the mashed potatoes. For an after party? Tim said. Brandy called out. Caroline, the murdered cow? Next to the thingamajiggy. Caroline said. Microwave, Nick offered. Oh, is that a microwave? Neat, Caroline said, taking off her glasses to wipe off the steam. Oh my gosh, the smell of animal death is so in my sweater. Brandy plopped the roast down next to the microwave and quickly unbuttoned her cardigan. Okay, Angora, $6,000 off the rack. Not that, you know, I actually pay for it. Where you get your clothes is a mystery, Caroline said. We live in a refugee camp, you know. Daniel, Brandy said. Where does he get your clothes? He has his sources, Brandy said. It's all I can get out of that boy. Anyway, it's not like I ask you where you get your roast beef and pies. Pies. Caroline put her hand to her forehead. Oh dear, I forgot the pies. Okay, Nick, Brandy said. I expect a full-on promotion to your inner sanctum here. Spent all morning getting the word out for your show. Most of them said no to the show because of the last incident with the burning down of the greenhouse and all. But yes to the after party. Demonstration, Nick said. What? Brandy said. It's not a show, Nick corrected Brandy, pointing to the machine. This is a scientific demonstration. Yeah, Brandy said. Whatever. When towers of flame and smoke are involved, it's a show! What will I do? Caroline said. I need those pies. Brandy rolled her eyes. Call Haley and tell her to bring them already! Came the sounds of wood hitting concrete from the outside. And now, all the way from the refugee camp, half-brothers Daniel and Xanthus Kobayashi! Hospitality 3000 continued its expose. Two boys stood in the doorway. One had Japanese features and leaned on a cane. The other was chubby and looked to be half-African, half-Japanese, and wore a pair of hollow-box virtual reality glasses. Daniel walked in slowly. 20-year-old Daniel Kobayashi is not much taller than a hobbit and intelligent beyond his years. By the early age of 10, he had made the front cover of Japanese hollow paper. Aye. They named him Child Genius of the Year for discovering the very first non-metal magnet. That was until the genetic plague killed his parents, crippled him, and 
let him utterly hairless, which makes him more goblin than Hobbit, I suppose. Exanthus, Daniel's half-brother, is 13 years old. Exanthus explains to everyone that he received his name from a visit in the night by an African tribal leader, indigenous to the Sub-Sahara. The leader is known for his powerful magic and warrior-like skills. This would be true if, by African tribal leader, he actually means, I live in my own fantasy world because I can't cope with life at the refugee camp. Exanthus is pitiful faux-hawk, his earring of a silver woman and mismatched black outfit make for an awkward compilation and a lack of girlfriends. Exanthus found a lone bar stool, flipped down the hollow box glasses again and announced, Gotta beat this level, Nick. Let me know when you're about to make eek Logical history. With that, he was lost in the virtual reality world of Magic Edward. Nick? Daniel nodded, his bald cranium reflecting the soft UV light. Daniel? Nick nodded back. Daniel turned an inspecting eye to the room and began making his way around. Nerves crept up Nick's back as he watched the boy genius limp to the machine and inspect the Prometheus 10,000 like some five-star general of science if those even existed. Hmm. Daniel said to himself, then moved to the edges of the room where three fish bowls were placed on wooden chairs. Each bowl had a piece of charred cardboard taped to it with the scribbled numbers, number 17, number 18, and number 19. The bowls were filled with sooty water. Daniel traced a figure eight in the bowl numbered 17 and then tasted the black water. A fisheye rose to the surface. Well, today's episode is sponsored by the Nicholas & Company series. Buy the entire audio series online at audible.com and read the entire Nicholas & Company series for free. Absolutely free on your ebook reader, now on Amazon or any online ebook store. Remember, teens, take a ride, read a book, and be sure to stick around at the end to hear from our author, Kevin McGill. So, yeah, Nick said, we couldn't experiment on ourselves. I, um, well, I've been testing the reprojected sunlight on the fish, trying to get the levels right. Daniel said nothing. He swished the water with his pinky finger. Another eye rose to the top, but this one was attached to a fish, paddling desperately. Mom and Dad have like a hundred of those fish. They won't miss a few. Daniel still said nothing. Well... Daniel finally spoke. Experimentation is essential to the scientific method. Nick's shoulders dropped. The boy genius approved. Entering the oldest of the Wendell sisters, Haley Wendell. I've got pies, Haley said. She stood in full karateji while holding two pies like a waitress at a small town diner. Thank goodness, Haley. Caroline clapped. My match went a little long. Sorry, Nick. Haley said. Then Caroline went all manic about her pies. Haley? Tim yelled and did a 180, the motherboard sailing from his hand. Tim? Nick lunged for the motherboard. Hi, Haley. Tim said. How are you? How's life? Win any state championships? I bet you beat all those girls. You're like a queen of kung fu. 
Kung Fu Queen. Queen Fu. <laughs> Tim's smile could have swallowed the Mississippi River. Hey, Tim. Haley said. Great. Thanks for asking, Haley. Um, yeah. Tim's eyes danced around the room, desperate to hold on to the anemic conversation. Sixteen years old. Hospitality 3000 continued. With enchanting blonde hair and deep green eyes, Haley's name is on the lips of every boy at the refugee camp. Without any aid on her part, in fact, it takes a brave boy to ask her on a date, knowing that Haley responds with more than a no. <gasps> Haley inhaled deep and turned around. She spotted two old-fashioned milk crates underneath the workbench. She verbally assaults would-be suitors, Hospitality 3000 said, leaving only a scarred psyche behind. Over Christmas break, Weaver High School's basketball team, who had won four state championships in a row and were well on their way to winning a fifth year straight, made a bet as to whom she would say yes to the first on the team. Every team member stepped up and took their turn. She told them exactly what she thought. Haley stacked the crates. Not only did the basketball team not win state championship that year, the point guard asked to be transferred to another school because, and I quote from his friend bank account, I have serious questions about my own ability to dribble a ball, defend the basket, or lift a fork and put it to my mouth. Haley climbed the crates and faced Hospitality 3000. She looked around the room and locked onto Daniel with her steely green eyes. Now only nerds and misfits dare to ask her on a date, as they are already accustomed to verbal assaults in a public environment. But do not be fooled by her aloof countenance. She is madly in love with- Hiya! Without moving her gaze on Daniel, Haley executed a perfect half-crescent kick. The now-smoking computer system swung over the doorframe by a red wire. The box fell, shooting out a bed of sparks. Haley jumped down and said to Daniel, Put it back up, and you'll be trading that cane in for a breath-operated wheelchair. So guess what, Haley? Tim said, leaning against a small bookshelf. I hit a girl. You hit a girl? Haley spun around. Uh, I, I mean, um, yeah, um. Tim's voice cracked. But it was a tie, you know. Tim too. Rocky the Shebully too. Tim raised his hands, pretending to do a victory dance. So, you couldn't win a fight with a girl? Haley's brow rose. No, Tim's voice cracked again. I could've. I just, just didn't want to make her look bad. Congratulations, Haley said. Thanks. His voice cracked a third time. Puberty wasn't taking any prisoners. She inhaled deeply. That's not what I submit to you. Nick cut off the inevitable verbal carnage. I submit to you the first ever solar battery projector. Thank you all for coming out to the beta test demonstration. While I am disappointed the press didn't show up, I'm sure word of mouth will make up for it. Please distribute the protective eyewear, Tim. Tim pulled out a small box and opened it. The contents looked more like a collection of swimming goggles than protective eyewear. He started passing them around. The snap of rubber came from around the room as everyone stretched the bands over their head. Okay, I'm supposed to give a speech at Rick Killing's Light the World contest, Nick said, so I'm going to practice to you guys. His voice dropped an octave and he raised his chest. It is common knowledge that Earth's climate has been altered over the last hundred years. 
leaving us with the great cloud and a lack of proper UV radiation. The sun's output is 80% less than what it used to be. 12% less, Daniel corrected him. If it was 80%, we'd be talking to each other through an ice sheet. Right, Nick said. 12%, that's what I meant. Anyway, oh, don't forget the helmets, Tim. Tim had already shoved a football helmet over his head and was passing around an army bag. Brandy reached into the army bag and pulled out a football helmet. Aren't these the missing helmets from Weaver High? Brandy whispered to Caroline. Dude, Xanthus grinned at Tim. What do we need helmets for? Tim looked back at him long and hard. Xanthus's grin quickly disappeared, and he shoved on the helmet. Currently, Nick continued his speech, artificial UV lights have been used to compensate for the lack of sunlight, but they're really expensive to maintain, and you know, suck a lot of power. One day I was watching this video on Ned Talk. I love those, Xanthus said under his breath. They were talking about the updated solar batteries in cars. Everyone knows that cars used to run off of the old solar batteries until the great cloud. They had to redesign the batteries so it could capture as much solar radiation as possible. They took the photovoltaic cells, which converted solar into electricity, and upped their intake by 300%. That got me thinking, what if we didn't convert it to energy fuel for cars? What if we collected up all that solar light flying around in the air, stored it somewhere, and then, you know, shot it back out onto cities, highways, houses? We could have sunlight bulbs on the roads and in houses. As the god Prometheus brought fire to humankind, I bring sunlight to the earth. The Prometheus, 10,000. Nick shifted to the left, holding his hand out proudly. They clapped, their football helmets bobbing back and forth. Please refresh our memory, Daniel said, cutting off the applause. Nick knew that Daniel was the smartest person in the state of Colorado. He didn't need his memory refreshed. What's your plan again? Why are you doing all this? Nick raised his hand as if to gesture how obvious his plan should be. Rick Killings is offering $1 billion to the first person who develops a solution for the great cloud. You know, to get the sun back. There's so much wasted sun out there above and below the fog, so we'll store it up and send it down to the cities. All I have to do is, you know, invent the machine. Then I get the money, buy a ticket to Moon, and finally leave this planet. Simple. Simple? Daniel cocked his head. Yeah. Nick shrugged. Invent machine, win prize, leave Earth. Simple. He wants to move to the moon, Tim said with a less excited tone. Start a new life. That sounds nice, Caroline perked up. Yeah, Haley said. I'd leave if I could. Daniel said nothing to this. He just leaned on his cane while his head stooped under the weight of the football helmet. So, Nick said, the machine... The plan. Awesome. Right, Daniel? Don't you think? I think, Daniel said, the football helmets were a good choice. That's good enough for me. Now, Nick bowed proudly. Let the demonstration commence. He snapped on rubber gloves, donned a welder's mask, and made a quick hop, grabbing two hand grips. Wait, Brandy said. 
You've boiled all of your other test cases. Not really. He turned the machine toward a lone fish in a glass bowl at the far end of the room. With the monstrous machine pointed in its direction, the fish zigged and zagged, desperately. It recalled previous experiments involving the ultimate death of its brethren. Not again, Brandy said. That's just evil. Are you ready, Tim? Nick said. Sure, Tim said slowly. All right, Tim. Now, I think we made a mistake in the field array calibration last time. Needs to be a little more focused. Nick reached around the machine to an odd assortment of knobs. He turned a large silver one, then reached up and pulled a rope. A hole appeared from the roof, sending a gray light over the machine. The solar battery will now take the diffused solar light in the atmosphere, Nick explained. Store it in the machine and concentrate it on our test subject. Tim bent down to a car battery and a pair of positive and negative cables. He attached the cables to the battery, took a deep breath, and then pushed the cables into two holes on the side of the Prometheus 10,000. The machine inside began to glow. Success! Nick did an air punch. Wow, Brandy said. It really works. Of course, Nick said. Tim stood up, his face slightly pale. If by works you mean it didn't blow up in my face and make my nose hairs sprinkle out like ground pepper, then okay, it works. Muzzle your tongue, non-believing infidel. Nick raised his hand. Tim rolled his eyes. Now then, the video recorder, Tim. We'll need to record it for the press conference. Tim ran over and adjusted an old 3D recorder mounted on a tripod. Commencing countdown, Nick called out. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. He smacked a red button on the side of the machine. The room swelled with light. Everyone slowly stepped back to the wall. Suddenly, the machine went dark. One could hear a knob click. That it, dude? Xanthus called out from somewhere. Nick tightened the grips until his knuckles turned white, then planted his left foot behind him like a runner at the starting line. Tim grabbed one of the firmer poles on the wall. Not quite. Now we have to see if the machine can reproject the solar light. There was a blast of yellow light. A girl screamed. Nick gripped the machine as it began to shake and roar. The fish wiggled furiously. I think it works! Nick looked back to give Tim a thumbs up, but stopped. The shed and everyone in it were gone. Um, guys? Nick was standing on a dark crossroad. Hey, guys! Nick squinted and saw a ramshackle of houses up and down the road. He looked up to find a horizon line shrouded in city lights. His nose was bombarded with a rich organic smell, and he felt cobblestones under his feet. Something flickered at the corner of his eye. He jumped. There in his right hand was a katana lit in blue fire. He lifted it up to his face and studied the flames as they walked up and down the sword. Seriously, what is going on? He wanted to raise the sword higher, but his arm felt constricted like he had a suit on. He looked to his right arm and down his chest. For some reason, he was wearing a wool black frock, golden vest, 
and black pants with black boots. He slowly looked up and found the bill of a hat. Okay, Nick said, taking the hat off slowly. It was a bowler hat. Where am I? But for some reason, Nick already knew the answer. This was the city of Huron, and he knew something else too. The city of Huron wasn't on Earth. It was on Moon. That was completely ridiculous, of course. Moon was an empty satellite devoid of oxygen and had very little gravity. There were no cities on it, especially ones with cobblestone streets. Still, somewhere past logic and reason, Nick knew this place. He didn't know why, but it felt familiar to him. Like one's first house or that park your parents would take you to as a little kid. And then Nick knew why it felt familiar. Home, Nick said to himself. The lunar colony was the home he had always known. But there was another home beyond memory, an unknown home, a magical home. Huron was that home. Suddenly he wanted to go to Huron more than anything else in the world. For the first time in his life, the plan to run away to the lunar colonies felt wrong. This is where he belonged. Huron's voice began to echo from all the windows and doorways. Keep them from my gates, Nicholas. The Rones bring death to your city. Who are you? Nick said. What's going on? Hello? Okay, I'm kind of freaking out here. Is this real? Hello? I can't do this right now, seriously. If I'm going insane, I'll never get off Earth. They'll lock me up in the loony bin forever. Hello? Nick squinted into the darkness. Are you there? The Rones will destroy your citizens. They will destroy me. Nick pointed the sword into the darkness, hoping it would give him more light. Who are you? Please, Stuart, come home. Nicholas, Nicholas. Nick! Tim screamed. The vision oiled away and was replaced with Tim waving his hands frantically. Are you listening to me, you tard? The beam's too focused. It's cutting through the bowl. Nick looked up to see a white, hot beam, no bigger than a pencil, shoot straight through the fishbowl. Small waterfalls began spilling out of the newly burned holes. No, 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 no! Nick flipped up his welder's mask and yanked open a panel. Don't worry, I got this. The fish stared at the growing holes and small waterfalls. It realized what the holes meant. Freedom from the horror that was this glass prison. With a new hope, it swam toward the escape route. Nick fiddled with several knobs and then turned a blue one. The fish pushed through the hole. Nick turned the knob twice. The light bloomed from a beam to a yellow glow. The fish kicked up and arced with a graceful twist. Now encased in the yellow glow of Prometheus 10,000, it flipped its torso skyward. Ha! Nick yelled and twisted a smaller knob. The light blasted into a brilliant white. Everyone covered their faces. The fish reached the top of its dive, hovering, poising in the white light. A snowy substance fell to the ground. Tim ripped off the Weaver football helmet. Turn it off, Nick! Nick reached for the orange power cord and tore it from the wall. Brandy squealed with arms outstretched. Ah, that's hand bronze. Nick, Haley pointed, where there was once a water bowl, wooden chairs, and a golden fish making its great escape, now swirled a cloud of white ash. And behind the ash, a perfectly cut hole in the shed. 
and behind the hole, a stunning view of Hiker's Canyon, on fire. Ah! My roast! Nick! Caroline ran with outstretched arms to the beef-fueled bonfire. The football helmet fell from Tim's hand, and as he stared at the fire, we are so dead. Post an update to my friend bank. I don't have access to Nick's fan page. Brandy yelled into her cell. Tell everyone the after party is canceled. Yeah, again. No, just some trees this time. I know, I know. They're living creatures too. Came the sound of fire drones zooming across with their anti-fire hoses at the ready. The scene around Nick fell into chaos. Teenage refugees ran around the canyon in horror and pandemonium. Prometheus 10,000 exploded into a bloom of sparks and smoke. Caroline smacked at the roast angrily, but Nick didn't notice any of this. All he could think about was the woman's voice in his head, crying out about the city of Huron. And she called him Stuart Nicholas Lyons. Kevin McGill here. I hope you're enjoying the Nicholas and Company Audiobook Adventures series. If you would like to get a free ebook version of Nicholas and Company, The Merman and the Moon Forgotten, go to nicholasandco.com, N I K O L A S A N D C O.com. Also, if you would like to buy the audiobook version of the Nicholas and Company Audio Adventure series, Go to wherever audiobooks are sold.